Welcome to the Unsuccess Podcast, a podcast where we talk about ministry and vocation and all kinds of other junk here in North Portland. I'm David Libby. And I'm Josh Hawk. And just, we don't talk about junk. So, I mean, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, anything we want to talk about. Right, right. right. We, don't, we don't have a plan. <laughs> we never have a plan here. Um, so today we have uh, an incredibly special guest and, and a really exciting guest because normally we've been talking about church work and whatnot, but today we have here Lindsay Jensen who runs St. John's Center for Opportunity. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Lindsay. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Uh, so tell us about yourself, um, what you do, and how you got hooked up with St. John's Center for Opportunity. Yeah. I was like, ooh, I'm not used to talking about myself. <laughs> yeah. Get comfortable. <laughs> I know, right? Here we go. Um, yeah. So I'm Lindsay. I'm the director at the St. John's Center for Opportunity. I'm also a mom and a native Oregonian and a North Portland resident myself. Um so, uh, yeah, I the St. John Center for Opportunity about us, because, of course, I can't really talk about myself. But um, we are a community development organization uh, rooted here in the St. John's neighborhood, and we uh, do a lot of different things. So we do affordable housing advocacy work. We support our small business community. We really work to support um connecting neighbors to job opportunities. Uh, we do a lot of community building work and leadership development. Um, so it's it's a lot, but it's a lot of fun. Um, and we, we, myself included, deeply love this neighborhood and love being able to serve in this community. So Lindsay, you're executive director for St. John's Center for Opportunity. How, oh man, how did you get there? Um <laughs> <laughs> and when you came, it wasn't St. John's Center for Opportunity, no. but it was something else. So let's kind of rewind a little bit and kind of what's your origin yeah. story to North Portland? Yeah. So my origin story is I was actually raised in Tualatin, um, so not technically in Portland, but um, grew up and spent my whole life there. Um, and then ended up going to college in Seattle. I went to Seattle Pacific University. Um, and I would say really sort of that's the heart of where my career path started. Um, I've always been really rooted in service and, um, you know, doing community work. So in college, um, I probably wasn't the typical Seattle Pacific student. I um, didn't really want to live on campus. So said, forget this, I'm going to move to South Seattle um, and was really rooted in a church um, in that community and um, was really connected to a lot of the nonprofits. And so on top of that, I actually also worked for a refugee resettlement organization in college um, and had some early experiences doing case management work and connecting refugees to services and, you know, just acclimating to life in the U.S., um, and I also, on top of that, did some work with elderly community members um, where I was doing activities for um, an elderly apartment complex in Seattle. So after that, Wait, I... Was there anything you didn't do in Seattle? <laughs> <laughs> that was... I did go to college, too. That was a thing. Um so after that, I um, decided I wanted to do an AmeriCorps program and enrolled in AmeriCorps and moved to uh, the East Coast. So I was in Boston, Massachusetts, um, and decided that I really loved it there and loved working in the nonprofit sector. And so um, ended up getting hired on for the organization that I did an AmeriCorps program work with 
called Cradles to Crayons, and we did we basically mm-hmm. recycled kids stuff and um, redistributed to to kids in need. Mm-hmm. So things like toys, clothing, etc. Um, and I ran all of the community outreach and volunteer programs for the organization. Um, and then from there, just like continued on this path of service. Um, when I was in Boston, I decided to get my MBA. So went to BU um, and uh, had a concentration in public and nonprofit management. So yeah, I would say my entire life has been rooted in the nonprofit sector or career. So That's awesome. Um, can we talk, I, I, I want to keep rewinding a little bit. Uh, you you talked about refugee resettlement. Now that's a kind of hot topic, hot button issue right now, and one that's really close to my heart. Um, hmm. Talk talk some about what you did with, um, uh, like some of the work you did with refugees. Yeah, it's been a while, but sure. <laughs> it's definitely one of my favorite experiences um, and most intense. But um, I would say, I mean, I really did kind of the gamut of things with families. I mean, some people literally, it was their first or second day in the U.S. and, um, you know, needed everything to learn how to ride the bus or how to flush their toilets or, um, you know, I mean, just really basic things that we take for granted learning. Um, And, you know, it was, I think, really overwhelming for some of the families acclimating to life in the U.S., Um, other families, it was really easy and they, you know, just, they made themselves a home and it was, you know, super simple. But, um, I mean, I'm trying to think of other things I would do. I would help with grocery shopping. I would help with taking people to dentist appointments. I would help with, um, getting social security cards and, you know, getting a driver's license or ID. I mean, just really being that champion and helping folks kind of navigate, uh, through life in the U S. I remember reading uh, a couple of years ago a book called Assimilator Go Home. It's by a lady named D.L. Mayfield. She's mm. pretty local. Um, I don't think Portland. Although, hot take here. Uh, you mentioned Tualatin being out of Portland. I'm just going to throw this out here and alienate most of our audiences. <laughs> uh, Tualatin, Tigard, Lake Oswego, um, uh, West Milwaukee, Westland, all Portland. All yeah. Portland. Every part of it, it's that you don't leave one to go to another. David, You're still you there. You lost me. That and Portland are not the same. You, I didn't lose you. You you broke your leg. You can't go anywhere. That's there. There you go. Okay. I mean, I will say that that was definitely not... I, I, I maybe feel you a little bit, but... Um, yeah, Twalton used to be very rural and was not <laughs> like Portland at all. Um, That's why it's a hot and take. I would still say it's probably not, but you know, whatever. It is. It super is. Um, David's uh, hot take of this. No, show. but uh, DL, we're, that's going to be a new segment. Uh, I'll, I'll have a new hot take every week. Uh, DL wrote this uh, book about working with refugees in mm-hmm. Beaverton. I'm pretty sure it's Beaverton. Uh, also Portland. <laughs> and she, um, and what surprised me because I figured it'd be like heavy work. Most of it is no; these people are are part of a completely different culture and don't uh, like are just sort of thrown into this. And you just assume, okay, they've now got housing and electricity and things are good now. Except they don't know how to live. Not only is there a language barrier, there's a everything I've ever learned is not real anymore barrier. 
Yeah. Plus, I just fled war and violence. Like it's right. it's it was it was a rough read, and um, and so I was I was just curious if your experience was pretty similar to that, and it sounds like it sort of was. Yeah, huge. I mean, I think one of the stories that I always really remember is you know, this one family that I was really connected to originally from Ethiopia and they had fled and they were living in a refugee camp in Kenya, um, you know, and some of their family was still there. And I think, you know, there was just constant fear and worry about the family members that were still back in, in Kenya. And, you know, he, the father had experienced, he was tortured um, originally in Ethiopia and they had put him in a space where, um he was with mosquitoes that had malaria. So they, they basically, he contracted malaria, um, through that experience. I mean, I just like hearing that story and like witnessing some of the trauma that he had experienced. And then all of a sudden being in a world where that wasn't a real thing, but I mean, like he wasn't traumatized anymore, but I mean, it just, it was so complex and complicated and right. Yeah. Oh gosh. It was, you know, a while back, um, talk about white privilege for a minute um a while back that it kind of came to the realization and understanding of really truly what that is you know like in in, you know in in a capitalist society you know or a democratic government i mean theoretically you know everybody has kind of equal opportunity um but pragmatically that doesn't happen you know and so you know working with the refugees things like getting a driver's license you know or you know the the cultural differences you know in that of even grocery shopping you know like wow we can go to a grocery store and get anything or everything where that's not kind of the norm in uh, kind of across the world you know and we all have kind of different yeah different cultural um elements and so like i remember for me realizing that saying man you know kind of my my family of origin, you know, or kind of the the history that I have. Um, education is another big one, you know. Yeah. Like just it, it, we have education available to many, but it, it's just getting getting there, you know, and, and figuring that out. Yeah. 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 Here's um. So oh, were you about to? Oh no, I was. Okay. I was just going to say it was interesting. So an, another experience that I had is I lived in Russia for four months, and I worked in orphanages in Russia. And I remember just the first time going grocery shopping there Mm. and feeling like, wow, this is so different. I mean, you go Mm. and you buy like your daily needs versus, you know, here I grocery shop for the week and there's like 5 million cereal options or, you know, whatever. It just, it is a very different, um, so many different experiences across the globe. Yeah. Yeah. It's shocking. Um, So I'd like us to talk a little bit about you're with Center for Opportunity, mm-hmm. who partners often with churches. And that's something that uh, a secular nonprofit and, and churches, and often you do things like helping integrate church and schools serving together or things like that. You were, you were involved with our church when we helped uh, serve James John Elementary, and that's not something you see a lot because there's some fear there. Like what, Mm. what are the church people going to say or do, which is a important fear, (laughs) you know, because there's, there's always a possibility that um, something either mean or aggressive or, or painful or law breaking is going to be said or done. And then on the, um, 
uh, church side, some Christians are afraid to, you know, get too close to a non-Christian organization in order to serve together. What's that experience been like on your end and how did that begin? <laughs> like, cause, cause I'm, I'm thrilled to see it, but it's been, uh, it was kind of shocking to see it first. Yeah. So, I mean, a couple thoughts running through my head. I mean, I would say one, I do come from a church background. So I think okay. just, I, I feel more comfortable in that setting, whereas maybe other community sure. members don't have that experience. But I would say also at the, at the heart of it, right? Like my, I, sort of the philosophy or the thing that drives me, right, is that I, I love people and I care deeply about people. And I think the thing that's going to change this country is, I call it the, the cultural revolution that needs to be sparked, right, is relationships and um, being connected to one another. And so that's something that has driven me from the moment I started working for St. John's Center for Opportunity or formerly St. John's Main Street. Um, and, you know, I think that's that, that philosophy drives you know, me wanting to connect with all the different pockets of folks in this community, right? Because I truly believe at the heart of it, right? Like we all have the same goal in mind, right? Which is improving and bettering our community. Um, we may have different ways or approaches or thoughts on how we get there. Um, but it's sort of like, how do you how do you build off of that principle, right? That we're all here ultimately, because we care a lot about our, our community, we want to see it better. And isn't it so much more impactful if we can work together, yeah. right? Versus being separate and, you know, just how important it is to have those, those relationships with one another. So St. Saint, Saint John's Main Street started um, really with a, a focus on kind of prosperity with the business district, just kind of the corridor down Lombard, North Lombard Street, kind of the business district in St. John's. Um, and that has kind of since evolved um, and, you know, into the name change, St. John's Center for Opportunity. Um, and I, what I've seen, you know, because, you know, my, my history goes kind of back and I was involved with St. John's Main Street a little bit, you know, or partnered with them, you know, before you were around, Lindsay, even. Um, and to, to see the change, to see the evolution, it, it's really reflective of what you just shared, of just that, that relational component, you know, and, and you've taken that, or what I've seen, I've seen you take that to the business district. I mean, like you haven't, that hasn't gone away, you know, that's still right. very much part of what you do. Um, but then you've expanded it to, um, to the other pockets, you know, to the, the faith community or the neighborhood association, um, you know, or the, the schools being involved with the schools. And I think the, the Roosevelt connections and um, but all of that has really been rooted in in the relationships. Yeah. Um, and it's it's really uh, it's really hard to, I guess, kind of be mad or angry at somebody when when you know them and when you love them. Um, and that's, I remember sitting in a room with years ago, um, with Rick McKinley, who's one of the pastors of a larger church in Portland here. And and then Sam, Sam Adams, one of our, our former mayors, um, who they, they both came out and they said, you know, Sam Adams represented the, the LGBT community and, and he said, you know, with with that community and then with the, the church, traditionally the evangelical church, like there's such this great chasm and great divide. But said so when they got together, when when Rick and Sam, they're like, man, you know, 
we actually like each other and we have more in common than we realize. And if mm-hmm. there's, we're working, you know, for a common goal, then we can agree on things. And um, just every, uh, every election that comes around, I'm just reminded of how divided, you know, our country and society yeah. is, you know, it's like, if it's not politically, it's, it's something else, you know, like we just, we find something, you know, a, a line in the sand that we got to draw. And, um, you know, I, one of the things I've noticed with you, Lindsay, is like, you've worked hard about like trying to erase that line, you know, to maybe blur some of those lines and, um, and to partner in that. So. Thank you. I'm glad you noticed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it, people are paying attention, but no, <laughs> um, yeah, I would say yes to all those things. And, you know, the other thing I think a lot about, just as you were talking about that transition from St. John's Main Street to St. John's Center for Opportunity, I mean, rooted in that is relationships, but also for me is equity and, mm-hmm. you know, power and privilege. And um, while there's some cool things that came out of St. John's Main Street, um, you know, to me, that was not, that was really missing the mark on serving our community in an equitable mm-hmm. way. And, um, I, I think, you know, the shift with the, you know, our new mission and vision and the things we're doing again is also, that's a huge component of the conversation too. Yeah. Which I think is arguably rooted again in that relationship, that, yeah. you know, like, um, the equity is huge, um, but it's not for equity's sake, but it's for relationship's sake and really for people's sake and the love of each other. What are some things about North Portland? What like what are you what draws you here? What what drew you here? Yeah. No. Well, originally my now husband, but um <laughs> I mean when I first right. moved back to Portland, um I originally lived in Southwest in the Southwest corridor and I thought that's really where I would root myself because I have still so many family and friends in, mm. you know, the Tualatin area. Um, but <clears throat> <Portland>. alas, yeah. <laughs> or as David likes to say, Portland. Um, but alas, you know, I, I met my husband and he lived in Kenton at the time. Um, and so when I had the opportunity to move up here, I did. And, um, you know, things sort of, just miraculously fell into place where I found this job opportunity with St. John's Main Street, uh, which was also in North Portland. And, you know, I'm, I'm really drawn to this area because I think it is very different than the rest of Portland. I think, um, you know, it is so relational in this mm. neighborhood and people are incredibly passionate um, and active. And um, I didn't feel that same connection to place that I, you know, experienced in North Portland, um, specifically St. John's too, I would say, you know, that I, um, when I was living in Southwest Portland. Sure. Sure. Um, so what, what kinds of things are you doing right now? What sort of uh, pushes or drives do you have? Um, w- what needs do you see in the area? That- mm. Yeah, so many. <laughs> I would say the things that are like weighing most heavily kind of on my heart or just in my thoughts right now. Um, I mean, one being sort of this idea of like, we just need more case managers or advocates Mm, or social workers in this neighborhood. Um, And I think that's something we're um, looking to build our capacity around as an organization. 
So, I mean, Portland is very rich in nonprofits and social service providers. Um, unfortunately, St. John's is often left out of the sort of boundaries or service areas of a lot of those organizations. And, um, you know, I find this in, in many different facets, including like workforce development. I mean, just a lot of things were sort of lacking those services. But, um, you know, I think as we as as an organ- organization have engaged in our new mission and vision and done things like launched a community clothing closet, you know, we just are working with such diverse community members um, and a lot of houseless folks continue to access um, our clothing closet or come in our office to use our computers um, to cool off when it's hot. I mean, whatever it is. And I think through that um you know, I just, people, people need an advocate. They need a champion. They need somebody who can work with them as they explore the different service options that they need. And so I've been really, um, just really, really thinking about that a lot and how we can either build our capacity by hiring someone, by really advocating for partner organizations to come into the neighborhood. I mean, whatever it is, like we just, we need, people need that support right now. Um, I think especially as things continue to shift in this neighborhood and more growth happens and gentrification, um, you know, there's just a lot of very vulnerable community members and, um, you know, that connects to everything from, I need help with my social security check. I need a new ID or, Hey, I need, I need housing. (laughs) Like that, this is really, um, an overwhelming thing. So I think about that a lot. Um, and I definitely think about, um, you know, I think about the Latinx community here in St. John's. We have had one of the largest Latinx communities in Portland. The what and community? So I say Latinx, which is a Latino community, but it's a gender um, oh, okay. neutral way of saying okay. um, Latino community. Sure. So um, Latinx community here. And, uh, you know, that that people are, families are being displaced. Um, you know, I have a lot of conversations with different leaders or organizers in that community. Um, and Mirabel Prado, who owns Novedades, it comes to mind, you know, she and I have had a lot of great conversations. Um, you know, and she talks a lot about how her customer base is changing. People are mm-hmm. moving to Vancouver, they're mm-hmm. moving out to the numbers, you know, the east side, um, because they, you know, rents are starting to increase mm-hmm. here. Um, so I, I really, um, you know, I, th- I think a lot about that of like, how do we, how do we keep our neighborhood racially diverse and economically diverse? Um, you know, and a lot of that comes back to housing and we, mm. you know, we need to find housing solutions. Um, so that's something I've been thinking a lot about too. Yeah. <clears throat> One of the things, Lindsay, this kind of maybe goes back to the, the refugee conversation. Um, but it, is it enough to just, uh, to just provide a bunch of resources or or would you say the issue is more or the the need maybe is more of like that that social work relationship i suppose you know like um oh i i think of some of the charity organizations and and you know you know i have been in meetings with people who are like well we don't want to work with somebody who's just going to kind of give us a a handout and st john's in north portland like historically I've kind of referred to it as kind of the bastard child of Portland um, where we've, we've been, Oh, the, the, the poor part of Portland, you know, and people have like sent from the, from the burbs, from 
what David thinks is still actually Portland. You know, people come and <laughs> and they like they serve poor North Portland, and then they go back, you know, to their homes with their white picket fences. Um, and you know, so is it is it enough just to kind of to provide to provide housing or to provide resources available or are we looking at like something deeper, some kind of a social work that is connecting people with people and, um, and empowering. I mean, you mentioned leadership development. Yeah. Um, so what would you say kind of about that and some of the work that you're doing in that area? I would say it's both and right. Like it's, it's both, um, pieces to the puzzle. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think resources are of course, essential resources in and of themselves are not going to create system change. And, um, you know, people are people like we come with so much baggage and emotions. And so if you're truly wanting to change a scenario or somebody's life, right. I mean, I think first and foremost, like housing is like the number one thing, because if people are not housed, they can't think about other things, right? Like they're, they're just figuring out how to survive. But to me, it's like, how do you, how do you get people the resources they need? That's number one, right? Let's stabilize folks. And then how do you really have those relationships and that ongoing connection and support to move, you know, to, to really kind of start to change that conversation or change that person's scenario. Right. Um, I mean, I think it's just, yeah, like I said, I, I'm, I recognize like we're all complex and we're yeah. emotional and, and that, you know, that's really where the real work starts to happen. If that makes in a lot of social justice kind of action oriented things, uh, the response often is like, Oh, that's a band aid to the problem. Right. You know, like, yeah. but the reality is if you're bleeding out, you need a band aid. Right? Yeah. Um, and so like realizing, okay, this isn't the answer to the problem, but it's essential and it's important. And you've got to put a band aid on, on things, you know, to, to start off with it. I, I think the answer might be the same, but I've been hearing a lot lately from, uh, various people from all walks of life. Um, this, this same refrain, which is if you if you hand things to people, whether it be money or food or um, some kind of housing or stability or anything, um, then they'll never hit bottom and they won't learn to um, fend for themselves or whatever. Um, Which I don't agree with for the record. Um, but how, how would you respond to that as someone who provides a lot of resources or, or does, or, or does a lot of uh, stuff like that? Do you, I mean, <laughs> if someone came in and they were like, you are, you are keeping people from thriving because they are being given things and they aren't learning to, you know, pull themselves up, by pull the themselves up by their bootstraps. Exactly, exactly. Um, well, I would respond with a lot of expletives because that is my pirate mouth. Um, we we but... have the ability to bleep <laughs> words. 
So you can say whatever you want, really. I, I told I told Liz and Emily before that I would really try and watch my mouth. Yeah, today, well, so, I, I will um, say we do have the ability, but Josh has to do it because it's on his computer. So you're giving him work if you do. Yeah, no, um, no, of course they. I totally think that's that's crap, right? I mean, I think have the from my lens, it's like have those people ever experienced living right. on the streets right. or, you know, being in a traumatic situation, or you know, just that it's. Yeah, things don't things don't just work like that. People can't just like pull themselves up by their bootstraps. You know, there's complex situations behind that, and um, you know, I think it's really important to stabilize a person's life in order for them to start thinking about some of these other things, like finding a job or um, you know whatever. So yeah, I was I was hearing once a talk from Steve Kimes, who's done a lot of work with the homeless in Portland, and he. Um, and Gresham, which is also Portland. And he did, <laughs> um, he did a talk at our church in, once, and he said one of the most common things that I get is they're just going to spend money on cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And his answer is always, yeah, they might, because a cigarette might be what they need right away, the first thing, in order to get their anxiety down to a level where they can then um, you know, move on to the next thing. And I had never heard someone be that straight about it before. Like, yeah, they might get a cigarette because that is part one. That is step one. And um, that was that was paradigm shifting for me. Hmm. <clears throat> I, uh, I think of just kind of a recent experience I had of, um, you know, giving a friend some money where... But it was it was one of those things where it was rooted in in relationships again, you know, and like you can kind of enable people or you know give people handouts or whatnot. But um, I I think often for us that's kind of relieving our conscience. Um, but when when you help somebody, when you provide something, you know, for somebody that when you're in relationship with them, um, it it means something completely different. You know, this experience of just giving this person some money, they like their entire countenance just changed like that, just like in in an instant and, um, just overwhelming gratitude. Um, that was quite, quite humbling. Um, but that's, I kind of go back to like, it's, it's easier just to kind of hand things out to people than to actually get to know them and, you know, and I think you know you brought up Steve Kimes. You know, I think he he would kind of agree. He's somebody you know who you know has really specifically in the in the houseless community has really invested um, time and energy and just relational time as well, and really knows people. Right. Um, so that yeah, that's that's huge. That one of my favorite quotes that I yeah. I came across recently. Um, with the bootstraps thing it's like, uh, you tell a guy to pull himself up by his own bootstraps when he doesn't even have any boots. Um, <laughs> and so like, it's That's impossible to, to do that. Right. And that again, like it's that white privilege kind of mentality that yeah. Yeah. we often have that we bring to is like, Oh, well just, just do it. You know, like, Oh, but it, like, it can't. Um, yeah. So, Right. Yeah, a lot of education maybe around that or or maybe just experience. I, I think, you know, like your experience in Russia, Lindsay, you know, like yeah. 
that really then allows you, opens your eyes, like, oh, wow, you know, I am a minority now, and being a minority somewhere else, really then, you, when you come home, you're like, oh, I, I have greater empathy, you know, for, um, for those around me um, who don't come from the same, you know, privilege or, or family of origin that, that I do. Right. Right. Um, yeah, the, uh, um, I, I appreciate trips like that more than the, the typical trip for, uh, church groups is like a, you know, five day stint in Mexico or whatever, which is fine and great, you know, go build a house. That's awesome. Um, but then often you'll hear people come back and they'll say, there's so much poverty over there. Yeah, there is. That's true. That's true. Um, what if that kind of focused effort continued, you know, wherever you were at? Because uh, at least in our context right here, a bunch of poverty too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. fo- keep, keep that focus going. Don't, don't just remember the one trip. I don't know. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. I've talked mm-hmm. to some uh, mission trip people lately. <laughs> And I've, I've heard that same thing a lot. Um, so tell us, you said you have a, what, two, three-year-old? Three I have old. a three-year-old. Three-year-old. Yeah. How, do you, how do you balance a job like yours? <laughs> Just laughing. <laughs> Can you enlighten us, please, Lindsay? <laughs> this, this, this won't be for every one of our listeners, but I got a pretty much three-year-old too, and I don't. I don't do that very well. What do you do? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I will say I don't do that very well either, to be honest. Um, I mean, self-care is something I am continually learning and relearning how to do. Um, You know, I will say I'm really fortunate to have an amazing husband and partner who is really supportive. You know, my parents are close by, so they're incredibly supportive too. I mean, I've done little things in my life where I'm, you know, like I, I think I mentioned this earlier, I'm joining a, you know, a a Dungeons and Dragons group, which is something I've never done and, you know, will be super fun and not connected at all to anything work related. Um, But yeah, I will say being a mom has been one of the hardest things I've ever done and one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. Um, And, you know, I've always just been so driven by my work and by social justice. And, um, you know, it's that could be a whole different podcast, right? On how how do you um, how do you balance those things and how do you, you know, when you've had your whole career or life be focused in one particular way and then adding on this new component of being a mom and figuring out how to balance those and, you know, the struggles and the emotions that come with that. Um, but yeah, no, I am definitely not great (laughs) at that. Um, and would love to learn from other people. Yeah. uh, Find some other people. (laughs) Josh might have some wisdom. I got nothing. Oh, um, I, yeah, I was was just having a conversation with my wife this morning, kind of about similar dynamics. Um, but we, we're, we're, we're driven by different things. And I've, I've seen families, I've seen people like be driven by their career or by this passion, you know, where, where they forget really about the priorities of their own home, you know, Mm -hmm. or their own kind of family, 
Um, and I think it goes back to those relationships, you know, what are those relationships that are important to us? Um, and that, um, that motivate us or inspire us, um, that, that drive us to, to do what we do. Um, and really I think career wise, you know, most often it's, it's kind of a means to an end. So I think most people would say, oh, yeah, you know, my family is of greatest importance and I work to provide for my family. I mean, we'd all would love theoretically, you know, not to have to work, um, you know, but there's I think there's there's great opportunity for overlap, I suppose. You know, I was reading an article recently about, um, you know, some maybe some more equitable kind of organizations and, and businesses um, a couple of the bigger ones that come to mind were, were REI and New Seasons, where like people, their employees find find purpose kind of in in their work, and they're able to kind of align some of those some of those family values, I guess, with with what they do. Um, and it's not just this drive to make money. You know, this capitalistic drive just drives me crazy sometimes. Um, but looking for opportunities to to pass that passion on, you know, like, so like Lindsay, you're super passionate about the, you know, the, the equity and the social justice in our community and like, okay, where are those, where are those opportunities where I can pass that on to my, my children, you know, mm-hmm. and let them see that, yeah. um, rather than keeping like everything siloed, you know, like home and work, they don't have to be completely separate, you know? And so I, I love the bring your kid to work days, you know, like those are, it's such a cool idea or concept at least, you know, that you allow your, your children to see, see the passion that, that you have. Um, growing up, that was one thing that my dad always was really good at. Um, he always included us and I've followed in his footsteps and basically have done exactly what he's done largely in part because of the investment that he made, you know, in me, not just in what he, he did. Um, so I think looking for those opportunities to, to involve our kids in what we do and then not to be, not to be so driven, um, to, to be willing to take a day off, you know, yeah. you know, for, for our kids or for ourselves, you know, um, and realizing that the organization's not going to burn down. And that's been a huge reminder for me being laid up after my recent accident this summer, um, of having to let a lot of things go. <laughs> and, uh, that can be hard at times, but yeah. Um, so tell us uh, what Center for Opportunity has coming up. Anything, I mean, you you seem to have new events, or I don't even know if events the right word. Like things happening all the time. What kinds of things you got coming up? <laughs> Literally all the time. Um, <laughs> it seems so like it. our next big event is um, next Tuesday, the seventh. We are doing our national night out event in the plaza. We're gonna have a DJ, family friendly, with bubble machines and fun food. Um, I so. just I just realized I should have asked. Um, I think that will have passed by the time this comes out. <laughs> um, shoot for like three weeks from now. <laughs> if you went to that. It was probably awesome. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I would say we've got a mix of projects and um, events on the docket for the next, you know, we actually cool. plan a year in advance, so I kind of know what our schedule nice. is going to be like for the whole year, but um, 
I would say this fall we'll be introducing a, a kind of some new workshops into our um, repertoire. So trying to do more career readiness workshops um, in addition to bringing in some more asset building and financial education workshops to the community. Um, so that will be kind of a new interesting thing um, this fall. Uh, we'll also be doing um, some sort of fundraising event this fall. In addition to there'll be the Winter Beer Fest that happens in December, which will be a big fundraiser for us as well. Um, plus, we'll continue to partner with Roosevelt on their annual homecoming celebration in September. Nice. Um, and we have the Art Constitutional and Art Walk happening in September. So just, again, a full full schedule. <laughs> Carista's been killing it with the art lately, man. I know. She's pretty amazing. Oh we <laughs> we actually are not contracting with her anymore. Is that right? But she is still killing it and doing amazing yeah. things. But Emily from our team is going to be planning is she? Um, the art walk stuff going forward. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, I like her too. Um, amazing awesome. team members. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. You, you got such a great team there. Cool. Um, well, uh, I, I mean, we're just about out of time. Uh, and by out of time, I mean we're about to record a different thing. So, <laughs> also with Lindsay that will be coming out either before or after this. So, if it's after, look forward to that. If it's before, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. I'm going to close this up. Uh, but thanks so much for coming on, Lindsay. Thank you. <laughs> and for the Unsuccess Podcast, I'm David. And I'm Josh. And we will see you next time. 